Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Devoutly Religious and Sex Positive, originally produced and published by The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. All right, so we have a treat with us today. We have a guest that I have, um, she doesn't know me, but I sure know her because I've taken her online courses. And so I wanted to share her, we as a group wanted to share her with you. Um, so um, we have Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and who is a re- LDS relationship and sexuality coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. And she has her PhD in counseling psychology. So in addition to her dissertation research on um, LDS, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Mormon, um, women's sexuality and the relationship to desire. She's also taught uh, college level human sexuality courses and focuses on the LDS individuals and couples achieving greater satisfaction and passion with their emotional and sexual relationships. She does a lot of online, so um, we're in this like really weird place right now in the world with this pandemic, and so we actually are recording remotely as we don't normally do. So our audio may may be a little off. Brandon is the only one who's using our actual equipment today, so he'll right. sound great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the great thing is. Um, Jennifer here offers online coaching and, and those things and courses, which makes this um, a little easier to ease into, right? People can still get the help that they need um, no matter where they're at. So yeah, we are excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Okay, Jennifer, I have a question for you right off the bat. I want to sure. jump in. So the question I asked is, you know, is it possible to be devout, religious, and sex positive? Uh, what is sex positive? I mean, like, what am I even talking about? There's probably a lot of people might have different definitions if you were to ask, you know, a handful of experts on that. But I think generally would be the idea that sexuality is a positive part, or at least can be a positive part of the human experience. And, you know, that you don't have to be afraid of it or rejecting of it to have a good life and to have a moral life, but that you can embrace that part of, of being a human being. It's, it's fairly obvious that we're all sexual, that sexuality is a part of the human experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, yet sexuality gets rejected. It's looked at sex and shame you know, I, I, go I hand in hand. In, like if you say Jesus <laughs> mm-hmm. and sex in the same sentence, it's a sin or something like it yeah. by lightning. Um, so in what ways does, does, I don't know if it's religion or the rigidity of that turn into rejection of sexuality? Well, I think, you know, just stepping back, I mean, religion has been a part of culture forever. Right. Um, but just stepping back from that for just a minute, the reality of sexuality has always been um, high meaning, high impact for every society because it's linked to reproduction and because it's also 
I think very core to the most sort of vulnerable, vulnerable part of being human. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always been in society's interest on some level to regulate sexuality, even just the issue of reproduction and how do you take care of the offspring and so on. So societies have always had a say on sexuality on some level. Religion is another version of that. And um, I think has at least, you know, the more conservative and orthodox the religion, often the more it's trying to regulate sexuality as a function of spirituality. So that's why a lot of people feel that the two can't be compatible, you know, and, and Christianity has a version of that. Islam has a version of it, um, but as does Judaism. But I think that there's often an idea within religion that pleasure and indulgence are uh, in contradiction to spirituality and goodness. Can you, can you speak more to that of how they can be compatible where spirituality and sexuality actually complement each other? Well, I think, you know, there's, I think there's a lot I could say about this, but I think that, how do they, a less mature interpretation of religion or goodness is generally going to put people at odds with their basic embodied nature mm. and is going to um, basically problematize the basic reality of being pleasure-seeking beings because we are you yes. know uh, and we, we are, so every we are time whether we like it or not right I really yeah that's right that home it's there. that's right that's exactly right. And so, you know, sometimes I will tease in some of the courses I teach that, you know, that babies, e even in utero, you know, are, are masturbating. Now, those are the evil babies, of course, not the good babies. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is to say that just a, a, a baby is going to, once it finds a way that has pleasure, is going to be drawn to that pleasure. And this yeah. is a survival thing, even, right? So we are pleasure seeking. I think when you problematize that and you say that that seeking of pleasure makes you defective, ungodly, you're a threat, uh, not only do you make it more problematic in people's lives, but that's an idea that, that this is somehow linked to evil, pleasure is linked to evil, and you interfere with another possibility is that how do you relate to your sensuality, your sexuality, pleasure in a way that creates goodness? Yes. And that's a, maybe a different definition of goodness, but I think it's certainly one that you can find um, support for in religious text. That is to say that goodness is about what creates strength, safety, peace, happiness within one's relationships, that that's what is defining of what is good, uh, not just the sort of self-depriving ideal. Yes. So sex, um, Ashton and Kobe, if I'm talking too much, jump in, but I just have some <laughs> more questions here. Um, sex can actually lead to connection to God, can actually lead to creation of love, and not just destruction and, and shame. That's kind of what I'm hearing yeah, you say. Most definitely. Most definitely. And some people have no sense of that because they have come out of relationship realities in which sex has been used to exploit, take advantage to betray, right? So for a lot of people, that's just a mind bender of an idea um, or they've come and or they've come out of a religious tradition in which sex is Satan's pathway or the pathway of evil. 
so they don't have a notion of they maybe hear the idea that sex can be about love and goodness and something holy but the, it, it just does it's not compatible because they don't understand yet from their own experience often sexuality as a form of giving and receiving as a form of loving and being loved knowing and being known right and you know if you interview people across religions people that will sometimes if you ask them to speak of their most sacred experience their most experience where they felt closest to divinity or to a, an expansive self they will reference often the heights of sexual pleasure as mm -hmm. a time when they felt in connection with with the divine yeah you know it's interesting i'm going to pop in here because i feel like i had the double whammy right i was coming from this um very religious community of sex is going to lead to bad things right so i just don't do it and then i get married and think it's going to magically happen and be great and then I feel betrayed in our relationship. So it was messy for me. It was very messy for me to figure Absolutely. this out. And I remember when I took your course, just being terrified, like, am I ready for this? And I know Brandon's like laughing because I, I did reach out to Brandon, like, wait, some of these things I'm like, I'm worried that this is like triggering stuff. And um, it took me a while to go through it, to be like, these are good. Like, I want this. This is why I invested in this course because I need it. And it's been a journey for me to figure out that part of me that kind of zoom out from the religious part and zoom out from this betrayal and really, yes. in, and just in, embrace that self that I haven't. Right. I think what, I think what you're pointing to, which is a, what a lot of my clients and people that are in the courses speak about is that it, it's stepping into deeper responsibility into your own life and into a deeper sense of um, being an equal or a person who can direct her life and embrace her sexuality and make choices. And that takes a lot of courage rather than being in a more dependent or passive position that many of us, especially as women, have been socialized into. So there is a way to kind of, even though that has negative implications for your sense of strength, your sense of mm -hmm. self, your peace of mind, there's a kind of pseudo safety in it because you can hide behind i'm a victim of you i don't mean that that's not real but i can hide behind i'm a victim of you i can hide behind right. my fear and stay, stuck. <laughs> and stay stuck which for many of us you know is it just mm -hmm. feels easier than confronting our lives and and, and asserting ourselves and I, I think this is what the worst version of religion can tempt us into yes. can you say more about that um, <clears throat> sorry, Brendan, but I, I just was, can you say more about that? Like meaning, I guess it's two parts. Say more about how this is the worst part of religion. How do people, um, say more about that, but can you speak specifically to how people can recognize the place that they're in and, and what does that path really look like to say, I can still maintain my devout spiritual connection with, with my religion and also with God while still you use the word responsibility like mm -hmm. our own personal responsibility in this. How do people balance those two? Yeah, it's a good question. So first I'll say that, first of all, um, religion is not a monolith, okay? So that is to say how anyone organizes around the notions of God and how what its responsibility is to a community to become closer to God is, there's a continuum. There's a lot of differences within religious organizations. 
but I would also say how people relate to their religion. It's not monolithic, right? So I, you know, work with a lot of religious people and some people relate to it um, as a way to hide behind it, not take responsibility for their lives, a sort of implicit contract that if I comply and I do everything the religion tells me, then there is the reward or the blessing or this sort of prize on the other side of safety, of protection from evil. Uh, I, I don't have to take as much responsibility for the morality or the moral choices of my life. And so I can use it to not grow up. Okay. The best version of religion or how one relates to their faith is they use it as a discipline, okay, but to grow themselves up, to take deep responsibility for their moral choices. So they may, you know, um, one can use strictures on one's life in order to protect themselves perhaps from negative consequences or to find deeper truth by operating within narrowed choices. But the goal is deeper truth. The goal is creating goodness. The goal isn't safety and hoping for um, safety through compliance. And a lot of people, I think Christ was quite vocal about this, that the, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is to say, principles aren't, or compliance or um, observance isn't the goal. It's what does observance create in you? And it gets measured by whether or not it creates your ability to love God, self, and other. And if it's not creating that in you, you have to question whether or not it has anything to do with God or goodness. And, and so Christ was very vocal about challenging the Sadducees and the Pharisees who kept using the, the uh, auspices of religion to say we are good, yes. right? And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So very so, human thing to do. So Jennifer, I love you, what you just said. I love uh, what I'm hearing you say to me. Yes. Is that my religion is there to help me have a higher level of self-discovery, um, have, have like a better healthy sexuality in my life. Yes. Um, it's not there to shut it down. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's faith. It's, it's to, to really grow and learn and become fully who I am. And yes. our sexuality is such an important part of that. It's not yes, a it thing that we, we shut down. Yes, um, it is. So I want, I want to, sh- can I shift gears just a little bit? Sure. Um, I, it, Ashlyn brought this up and I think it's, it's really important for our audience. Um, you know, to be honest with you, Jennifer, you're very triggering to, um, to my clients, uh, not all of them, but mm-hmm. many of them, many of them eat your stuff up. They love it. Mm-hmm. Many of them don't. And, mm-hmm. and it comes back to what you were saying earlier. You, you got the double whammy of very religious um, mm-hmm. on top of what we call betrayal trauma. Mm-hmm. They've been betrayed. Mm-hmm. Sex has been this painful, horrible thing in their life. And mm-hmm. then you talk about erotica. You talk about uh, masturbation, mm-hmm. lust, even what the, what the definition of lust is. Mm-hmm. For, me, for me to go there with my clients... Um, can be very overwhelming, almost to the point where they, they just can't, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. It, it's just scary. And, and it's, you know, lust or sexuality, erotica is mm-hmm. so automatically evil. Yes. Um, what would you say, like, where do you start with somebody who's had such bad experiences, so to speak? 
I mean, I think that what I would start with is is just acknowledging that that's that's true. Like they really have had negative experiences, and it certainly makes sense that their knee jerk response is to reject sexuality. Yes. Right. Like somebody who's been uh, molested, it's not an uncommon response that you just shut the whole operation down because it's a way of saying, I I want to protect myself from harm. Right. So I I think where I would start is to respect the, that that response is a self-protective one and to be self-protecting certainly makes sense. Um, But what I then often will talk to clients about is the way that their sexuality, the way that they're positioning around this is that they have shut down a fundamental part of being a human being. Yeah. And they've shut down a really fundamental part, you know, in the case of many of my clients of being a woman and that they're allowing these negative experiences to rob them from being integrated with their whole selves and all of their strength. And so I'm trying to help them see, and they don't have to, I would never say to somebody like, you know, you can't be whole if you don't deal with this. I think what I would say is I want you to at least see what is there so you can make choices from your strongest, clearest self around what you want to deal with or not. Um, But I'm trying to help people get out of a reactive position because it's it's more limbic and it's more reactive than it is um, courage driven. And so I think it limits what they can create in their lives and also help people get out of the idea that issuing sexuality and all this is going to make them safer because it actually hasn't made them safer. Right? Right. <laughs> Meaning they're, they're often kind of in too passive of a position around their relationship to their sexuality, to who they are to their strength. And it's partly why they're often in codependent relationships in which they give too much of their strength away. So I'm not framing it as you must integrate your sexuality, but look at the ways that you have been seduced into not being in relationship to a fundamental form and source of your strength. Yes. And integrating with that is not that you must go have sex and you must have orgasms or anything like that, but being integrated with your body and something fundamental to you that's a gift from God to you is going to be a part of you being more deeply at peace, more at peace with yourself, being, having greater access to your internal wisdom. Because what I sometimes say is if you want to rob a woman or a person, man or woman, from their strength, divide them from their sexuality. Yeah. Put them up in a conflicted relationship with the body and sexuality and you really, you have them then. Yeah. And so I understand why women, if they think I'm saying, look, you should just, you're, I know your husband's a jerk and he looks at porn and he doesn't respect you, but you should have sex. That is definitely not that's my not message. That's not what you're saying. No. <laughs> not at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think sometimes people fear that's what it is because they have taken so much safety in just rejecting sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so my art of desire course is not about how to be the right kind of partner to your poor husband. That's not it at all. It's about let's put the men aside for now, but let's look at you and how you've been taught to be in relationship to your sexuality and how this has undermined your peace of mind, your sense of, and it's not just sexuality. I'm looking at women's relationship to desire in general and to their own wisdom and to their own sense of self and, and, and coalescing, kind of getting a stronger sense of who they are 
that allows them to make clear-headed decisions around whether or not they want to be sexual with their spouse or whether or not they want to share this part of themselves. But it's about solidifying a, a deeper relationship to their strength. Jennifer, um, one of the thoughts that I had on this, and, and this is, my mind is spinning a million different ways uh, on, on, on your message, okay? But <clears throat> one of the thoughts I can't help but thinking about right now, one of the questions I have is, is um, how does a partner who has betrayed, okay? Um, how, and, and in, in my case, classic hypersexual kid, exposed mm -hmm. to porn very, very young, and just mm -hmm. had this, this drive to seek and find. And um, I wasn't patient, we'll say, mm -hmm. with Ashlyn, especially when discovery was made um, of my addiction to porn. How can, but how, how, what would you say to the, to the individual who's betrayed, who perhaps is, um, has been the, the sexual aggressor but maybe needs to gear down a little bit and allow space without pressure to their partner mm -hmm. who needs to um, learn and understand about their own selves. Not to say that the person who is hypersexual is also not ignorant because I was, that was, was funny. ignorant <laughs> and um, hypersexual, yeah. right? That was, that was right. a classic me. Yeah, because okay. he was right. like, hurry, go, go, go. And then when I finally started doing your course and really stepping into that and asking him questions, he was like, Oh, I guess I don't know who I am sexually. Right. Yes, right. That's right. And so hypersexuality or being the higher desire person often makes it look like the, the higher desire person can look like that they know what's going on, that they're comfortable with their sexuality, that they're comfortable with themselves, and they're just waiting patiently for their spouse to get it together. And that's just never true, okay? And Classic, it's a, Kobe and Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Classic. And because you can hide behind the idea, like, you know, when are you gonna love me and want me and, and, and gratify me sexually, and I'm being so patient, which is not a function of strength, that's needy also, okay? So there's, there's a lot of ways that, this is a very, you're, at, you're sort of sticking your thumb <laughs> into the middle of a big question, but let me try to think how to be efficient about this for a second. When someone is in pursuit of sexual value, so, so let me just back up a little bit more. First of all, I think that in religion, we do this to men too. We don't just divide women from their sexuality. We divide men too. We do it differently based on notions of femininity and masculinity. And I'm speaking about religion as a huge monolith right now, but, but you know, women, we sort of teach the idea generally that femininity and sexuality don't exist. So femininity and desire, it's the desirelessness and the desire to serve everybody else's desires and needs that defines the woman. Men were more comfortable with the idea that they have desires and that they can be more hedonistic, but we also give them the idea that both that sexuality is an entitlement of theirs and that a good wife will accommodate it, but we also can create anxiety and okay, there you go, there you go. Okay. <laughs> and depending on the religion, if you if there's some anxiety about sex, also it's something you do to a woman, but you can hurt a woman through your sexuality too. So we have this sort of, you're the actor and you're kind of entitled to it, but you're also should feel kind of guilty about it the whole time. So, you know, we, we create a react, a, a, um, a complicated picture that is designed to fail, whether or not we know it. I mean, we are offering this to our youth and so on unwittingly often. So when you have that dual message as a male, you're often very drawn to the illicit, the porn. You know, first of all, we're, 
you know, we're wired up to be creative and uh, to be curious about sexuality. My, my dad, as I've told another podcast, had a book on his top shelf called The Naked Communist. It was a political commentary book. But, you know, I scaled his bookshelf to see if there were any pictures. <laughs> okay. And, you know, my sibling's like, no, don't bother. I've already looked. There's nothing in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's so awesome. you know, so it, it's, it's curious, you know, you're naturally curious about it. But when it's linked to the forbidden it, it gets a special power, okay? And so it's, you know, we set boys up, and I, I don't mean to say just boys, we set our young people up to get into a compulsive relationship with pornography, okay? So people can go either into the compulsive version or the repressive version, okay? Mm -hmm. Females are more likely to go into repression of this, and men are more likely to go into the compulsive form. So one of the metaphors I use a lot is to talk about food, that if you are being told that, your desire for chocolate or sweets makes you bad, it's dangerous, you shouldn't do it, you're gonna get either anorexia or compulsive eating, you know, yes. now bulimia or compulsive overeating. So you drive the, the immoderation. Okay, well then, if you're like, oh, I really like this, it feels validating to find these sexual images, it makes me feel alive, it makes me feel like nobody's controlling me for once, okay, plus I'm getting the message that when I finally get married, She's just going to be all about being there for me sexually, and she's going to love every minute of accommodating my narcissistic self. <laughs> <laughs> and no one's ever thought that. No. <laughs> for some weird reason, she's not into that, but I will be patient with her when she gets her defectiveness together. Um, <laughs> We're laughing Isn't that That's totally us. us. Entirely. Yeah. Entirely. Exactly. Just because exactly. I knew my penis way more than Ashla knew her parts it entitled yeah. me to you know all the right. sex that I wanted and everything it's yeah well, and there's this implicit entitlement that often people grow up with which is that the good wife will accommodate you the good wife will be there for you so you don't look at porn I mean men yeah. get these messages all the time and this is not a message of how do you create a sexually collaborative relationship a relationship of that makes two people happy that's about accommodating each other's differences, about knowing each other, about, you know, how do you create something that gives you both peace and how do you handle the differences that you're going to have and what you desire and how often you desire and so on. Because as soon as somebody means, makes it about you should manage my feelings and my needs, you've turned it into work for the other person and now they really don't want it. And then that drives the hunger in the higher desire person and the yeah. resistance in the low desire person. Then that higher desire person often is like gets resentful enough because you're supposed to be accommodating me, you loser. And then they go look at more porn, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Which or only, seek other women, which is where yeah. our case was. Yes, exactly. Or find some other woman who finally understands how great you are. And, and then, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's so funny and not funny. I don't mean to laugh, yeah. really. It's just, it's such painful stuff for people. But then, of course, that just drives the, why would I want to open up to you? You know, you're yeah, so yeah. self-serving. You are so self-justified. You've never really wanted to make love to me because you don't want to know me because I don't, I don't validate you enough. Um, and oftentimes on the lower desire person's side, there's a similar anxiety. Like I wanted you to just make sex. Okay. I wanted you to handle my fears around this and to bring me into my sexuality. Cause that's what I was taught was going to happen. And you've done a crappy job of it. So, <laughs> so I'm not, I don't have to deal with my responsibility in this. And so yeah. I think, you know, that's the stereotypical response stereotypes 
view. I know that people have much more nuanced experiences than what I just said, but I think that that drives a lot of, I can't get from you the sense of self that I wanted to get from you. And so um, I'm either going to handle it through more demandingness or, or less availability, but it drives this wedge in the way that I try to help people to grow up is to confront their role in this dynamic and their immaturity, their either their untrustworthiness or their inability to really love through their sexuality and whatever version that takes within themselves. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, um, yes. there, there's this, there's this kind of undertone that I'm hearing that I think is really important. Um, and it's for, especially I think women to not, not take on this passive role and, mm -hmm. and to actually assert themselves to, yes. to really explore their sexuality. And, and I know this is what your, your online course is about. Um, but if you could give us just like a nibble, like what, what does that even mean for a woman to assert herself, to take control of her own sexuality? What does that mean? Well, I would first start with the idea that, how do I say this? That while we all dislike the idea of women being condescended to, and we really dislike the idea that we would be in a less than position, that when it comes to taking responsibility for ourselves, that's, that's when many of us like the idea, right? <laughs> you know uh -huh. what I mean? Like, uh -huh. I'm the victim, or I'm, you, you know, I'll love you as soon as you love me. And we sort of dumb ourselves down as a way to hide sometimes. I, I know that sounds really not we nice. Our, we give our power away. We yes, but it's exactly it. We give yes. our power away. And so I really want women to not do that for their own self-respect, for their own peace of mind, for their own strength. And because it helps the people around them, it helps their children be stronger. It helps their relationships be stronger. So I one of the ways that we give our strength away and we're very much socialized into this and we may also be somewhat biologically vulnerable to this because you know we're very attuned to what other people want from us and this might keep babies alive you know what i mean because uh -huh. you're very tuned into the crying child and so on but what we are also socialized into so this really gets double we get this uh you know uh I can't say the way I want to say it. Basically, we get this, the double whammy on this, okay? Which is we get taught the idea a lot that the definition of the good woman, the feminine desirable woman is the one who doesn't get angry, who's accommodating of other people's needs and desires, who basically is there to support the realities of her children and her husband. Yeah. And so um, that distracts women often from developing their own strength, their own solid self. It, it interferes with them knowing what their own desires are and their own interests and their own passions. And while I think there's deep value in it and being able to attend to what people around you need, um, when we do it at the expense of our own development, it creates resentment in us. Mm -hmm. It creates limitation in us. It creates um, dependency in us. And so we have a responsibility to being our strong, strongest self. So I'm trying to help women to look at um, their own self-development, the way they've been taught to discard their sexuality in favor of a male-focused sexuality, meaning being there for men, as opposed to embracing and developing their own sexual selves. And then how that's very much this solid self is linked to the capacity 
to be intimate with another person. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't feel worthy and you're not clear about your own sufficiency or even clear about the legitimacy of your sexuality, you're not going to be capable of intimacy because you don't want to be known. You want to be validated through sexuality, told you're okay, but that's different than wanting to be known. And so to be able to really let another person know you, you have to do the work of really coming to peace with yourself, which is about letting go of perfectionism and this whole need to make everybody else think you're perfect, but being able to embrace your humanity, which is inclusive of, of your sexuality. So Jennifer, how does somebody, how do, how do people do that when they, how do they embrace that concept that you just described while sitting in a Sunday service, like a church service, and trying to reconcile um, that concept that you just described with being devout and challenging what the historical, cultural, religious norm has been for them. How can mm -hmm. they be, be um, <clears throat> not limbic, mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, but, but be conscious and challenge that norm that they've had while still saying, well, I'm devout, it's okay. Sure, sure. Well, um, okay. Uh, a couple thoughts. Um, yeah, because I think for many of us, people have learned that to, what constitutes me being a good member of my faith is my compliance and my deference to an external authority. That's what a lot of people have learned is the definition of being a good anything, good Mormon, good Catholic, good, you know, uh, member of any faith. And I don't think of it that way. And I help my clients to not think of it that way. What it means is you may be Catholic or, uh, you know, uh, Presbyterian or whatever you are, and that you are living within that faith community, doing what you believe is good, that your integrity leads you in those decisions. Yeah. So you may reference what other voices are. You may reference what the scriptures are teaching you. You may reference these ideals but your accountability is to your integrity and to God, right? And so, you know, religions can, I don't know if you know Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, um, he was a, he, he basically plotted to kill Hitler. It's excellent documentary and book if you want to read it. But he What's was someone called? who was uh, Bonhoeffer. It's the name of the man himself, uh, Dietrich okay. Bonhoeffer. And um, he basically, as a Christian, uh, was calling out the anti-Semitism in Germany before Hitler came to power and was really vocal about how unchristian it was, how wrong it was. He had other religious leaders trying to shut him down, telling him he shouldn't be saying that, fall in line. He actually came under enough pressure on his life that he came back to, he came to the United States to find safety, but then his own integrity and conscience, conscience didn't allow it. And he actually went back and plotted to kill Hitler as an effort to try and save Jews and was ultimately killed. Okay. But my point is he used his religion to foster his integrity, mm -hmm. right? Some people use religion mm -hmm. to basically hide their responsibility because other people there were saying, Oh no, the, the, you know, the Vatican has said, it's okay. We don't have to deal with this. This is not in our hands. We should just obey the law of the land. We don't have, we don't take responsibility. So you see, it depends on how one relates to the principles of their and the tenets of their faith. Are they using it to drive their integrity and their responsibility to the moral conversation? Or do they use it to hide 
and it's so tempting to hide. Believe me, I, I, I like to hide. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to speak up and have people get upset with you and dislike you and, and think you're doing ill. And, and, you know, the thing that will drive me sometimes is that I just have to think about it impacts real people. And I have a responsibility to articulate what I believe will help people and tolerate that I can't make people understand me or like me. But, but that's what I think drives us into courage is that what we do matters and it has real implications for our lives, for our, our self-respect, for our relationships and for other people who hear us. And so I always value integrity, even when people do things I don't think they should do, or, or even if I don't agree with it, if it's really driven by an honest responsibility, I have deep respect for it. Mm -hmm. And we need more of that in our government, as we all know, more responsibility to the people rather than compliance within, within a group. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, I amen to what you just said. <laughs> like, uh, I, if you, I'm going to join your religion, whatever it is. But. <laughs> the church of Jennifer. <laughs> uh, but, but if I can, if I can just kind of, I, I need to put it in, into words that I can really understand it, which is, if I, um, if, if I use my religion to find God, um, to create love, um, then I'm going to, I'm going to act in my integrity in that religion. Mm -hmm. If I'm using my religion, um, as something that I can just kind of fall back into, um, kind of let it dictate who I am mm -hmm. and, and not step into my power because it's, it's my safety. It's just there for mm -hmm. me for my safety. Mm -hmm then it actually, it, it becomes that for me. Um, but, but in some ways it gets in the way of me creating and me really stepping into my integrity. And, yes. and I, I think that if, if I'm using my religion that way and it gives me all of these rules mm -hmm. about what I should be sexually, it can mm -hmm. really shut me down sexually. It can, it can, That's right. it can take that from me. That's right. Yeah. And I think there's this, this implicit contract that I talked about earlier that I think a lot of my clients, I think they're operating within, you know, for example, um, when I was in high school, my, my really good friend was, I was devout, like I didn't drink alcohol or do anything like that. You know, I was just sort of obeying the tenets of my faith. My mm -hmm. friend was not, she would drink and things like that. I remember one night we were walking somewhat late at night and sort of in an unsafe area and, you know, trying to get to our car. And she said, I just feel much safer walking next to you. And I was like, wait, why? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm like, why would I, I, I have no muscle strength on you. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, well, because you obey the commandments, you do those things. So, you know, God's going to protect you You're when righteous. I'm walking next to you. And it was really striking because I had never, I didn't grow up in a family that thought that way. And so I, I just never had thought of that idea that I would somehow get protection that she doesn't because I obey and she doesn't. Like, I, I don't think that's really a good version of God. Uh, that, yes. But a lot of us sell that idea that you get this safety. And, and the, the paradox and the sad thing is, is people don't get safety. <laughs> right. <Doesn't laughs> <have things either. laughs> I mean, it actually, makes, it actually makes them less safe because they're, 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 they're not taking responsibility yes. for their choices and the implications of those choices. They're trusting too much. You know, I had a client who wanted to go to college, but her mother got married when she was, you know, uh, before she'd finished her degree. The, her mother put pressure on her to do that. She felt like there was something obedient about not putting her degree ahead of getting married. 
she gets married, has multiple children, because she also sees that as a way of living the rules. And then her husband cheats on her and wants to leave the marriage. And so that's when that contract blows up and she's reeling because she gave up so much to invest in the safety of her future. That was at least what was implied without really taking responsibility of can I live within these choices and can I be at peace with these choices? And that's what, that's what we need if we're going to really grow into stronger people. Yeah. And I think just, just, just piggybacking off of that, you know, um, to, to be able to have the courage to say things that, that might be a little uncomfortable that Mm -hmm. are, that are, that are, you know, that go against, I, I don't know if it's against, but some of the rigidity some of the cultural religious stuff um, yes. and, and, and exactly. to actually say those things and challenge those things. It can be uncomfortable when, if, if you've been in the box so much and it's so safe there, that's uh, it right. can be uncomfortable to hear it. It can be un- uncomfortable to say it, but it's that's important right. to go there and it's important to say those things. And, and, you know, in the new Testament, that's very much the message that Christ was challenging this sort of, getting hiding behind the religious norms as opposed to using it for your development. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer, um, I know that we're, we're, we're short on time, but I wanted to just, um, I guess, ask this question. Um, it, it seems as though that if I'm on this path where um, I believe that um, <clears throat> without really necessarily saying it, that uh, my penis is bad and everything that's bad in life that's happened to me is because I can't stop touching my penis uh, or looking at porn or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to be a really um, sustainable, like one-two punch in your opinion, um, in order to begin um, taking personal responsibility while altering the current course into a, a, a much more healthy and integrous Mm-hmm. way i'm thinking education is certainly one of those things because it's like ignorance can be just this yeah, this, yeah. this fetter that can drown a soul yes let me see if one or two punch i'm trying to think about how to be efficient in my response but i i think upgrading one's notion of god because sometimes i've said to clients i don't think god really cares whether or not you look at porn as much as whether or not you start taking real responsibility for your life, start being more honest with yourself and others and stop, you know, playing around in this good boy, bad boy paradigm. Now I'm talking about adult men I'm talking to who are going between, Oh, I'm good because I didn't look to I'm bad and go into these indulgent binges. And then I'm going to go back into good um, rather than really confronting themselves and, you know, you know, like one of my clients just has the narrative in his head that he is a good person who has these slip ups. Okay. Or he's an honest person who sometimes lies. And I'm like, you know, that's just not true. I think if you look at the picture, you are someone who has no interest in not having porn be in your life. Yeah. Oh, right. No. You, you, you always make a way for it to be in your life and you're dishonest. Like, the, and I, I'm not going to even judge you. That's, let's just be straight. That's what you're doing. Okay. Like you like to lie to your wife and make her think you tell the truth and you have no interest in really having porn be out of your life. Why not just be straight up about that? Well, per, you know, perhaps surprisingly to some that that's when it all changed for him is when he finally went to his wife and said, you should basically not trust me. There's no reason to trust me. I've lied to you for 10 years. Okay. And, um, 
And I like lying to you. I like hiding from you. I get off on the idea. I like the idea that I'm sneaking something because I like playing with the idea that I'm resisting someone else's authority rather than taking responsibility for who I am. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You basically just described me and I'm just thinking of all the different ways that, uh, well, and that's I, just, that's just entirely contrary to anything that religion really is about. But if you remember like, well, most of the people we meet with the same, you know, background of yeah. this, it's always about the lies more than it's about the actual yes. act. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And so, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying and it's like, it's like for, for the for the betrayed for the wife you know if it's a wife in the situation it's this idea of like just stop lying to me stop patronizing me you know like stop pretending you're somebody you're not like if you could just have the backbone to be straight up maybe we could deal with this better but it's the yeah. tiptoeing around this idea about who you are and you should trust me and 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 then and then the you know the partner who's not you know lying is feels like she or he needs to regulate the other person and yeah. make sure they're not, you know, and so it pulls into this dynamic. So, but when I like, how about not, why not just be honest? Like stop so just lying facing the reality of it, like, the reality of it is really where it yeah. is. Exactly. Okay. And so then I'm like, look, I don't think God cares as much if you ever look at a naked body as whether or not you keep playing around in this young version of morality. And rather than taking responsibility for who you want to be, you have a short time on this planet, you have been given gifts and capacities. And, and is this what you're going to do with it? You know, and, and, and are you going to create something better with your wife and your life? You know, and, and I'm going to call you out because I think you are better than that. And so that's when I see people right. make a lot of progress. Okay, so once they actually face that, and say, mm -hmm. this is exactly where I am, the, the, the second step on that, in your opinion, as far as being able to really become in alignment with, with, the, with the new God that you just talked about, right? Redefining your orientation to God, who he is, et cetera, he or she is, whatever your religion is. But mm -hmm. um, what would be the, what, I guess, what would be the next, the next step on that? After you well, it's, it's, well, it's deeper. It's taking deeper responsibility for the implications of your behavior. Right. Rather than I'm sneaking something or I'm, 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 you know, not doing it anymore. Now I'm being good. Rather than what is it that I actually want to create? What do I want my life to be about? What do I want my legacy to be about? What kind of, do I want to teach my children how to be this person that lies and hides and, you know, and, and is entitled on some level? Or do I want to teach my children about somebody who's able to be a real, a strong human being? basically be consistent and congruent with who he or she is. Yep. And nobody gets away with things. I mean, we, I think we think we can hide things, but our kids map who we are basically. And, and so who you are matters and what you do matters. And so really it's, a, it's like putting the responsibility back on the individual. You are a moral actor in the world. What you do matters. You need to think about, do, who do I want to be? Do I want to be somebody who looks at porn all the time or not? Okay, why or why not? What's the upside of letting it go? What's the upside of not letting it go? You know, I mean, really, like make decisions. I'm not going to make it for you because I don't have to live your life and be in your relationships, but I want to help you do this honestly because I, I you're the one who has to live with it. I had a, yeah. client, I had a client come in. He's very BYU, very... Yeah. And he, come, he comes in and he, he'd been acting out with pornography over and over again. Yeah. And he comes yeah. in and he's like, Brandon, I want to be a porn star. And mm. 
and he expected me to freak out and talk him out of it. And I mm -hmm. said, good, we're making some progress. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, yes. All right, so okay, now, now let's talk about good. how that would look in your life. Like what are the consequences? Is this, is this excellent in, response. in your integrity, you know? Exactly. That's so. a great response because, you know, I, I do this a bit with my teenager. It's like, you know, I just don't even care. I don't even want to go to school anymore. And, and I used to be like, you have to go to school. What are you right. talking about? You don't go to school. You have to like, and I've gotten a little wiser and just be like, you know, okay, well, what would be the upside of not going? You know, what, what would be the things that you would like about? It? What would be the downside? Think What's the upside true. of actually doing well in school? What's the downside of doing well? And, you know, it just helping him take responsibility for his life rather than being in a power struggle with his parents yes um okay i know we need to wrap up so uh jennifer i know you have uh, retreats that sell out in like five minutes um, yes back <laughs> before social distancing yes yeah. <laughs> um, but you do have one coming up don't you well i do i have one that's we just canceled the one to dallas that was sold out that was going to be this Shoot. week sadly I know Sorry. and I know and we had another one in Calgary that in April that we decided to go ahead and cancel or I should say postpone yeah. so um, we will hopefully as soon as things are good we have one currently scheduled for Oregon in uh, May that is a three-day women's retreat and it's it's just an amazing retreat we do it every year and um, three days of women who are coming really looking to grapple with these questions of finding their more solid selves and developing their sexuality and, and you see transformation happen over the three days. So that's almost sold out, but I, I don't yet know what's gonna happen. I haven't been advertising it because I'm just kind of waiting to see where things go in the next week. But, but we do do them every year. So maybe next spring when we have a vaccine, we'll be in the clear. But uh, then I also have a couples retreat in October in Jackson Hole that's currently scheduled where I do a three-day uh, relationship workshop and a three-day sexuality workshop with couples. And those are awesome as well. So you can come, get away from the kids, and you're learning principles, and you have exercises where you're going through them. And it's a very effective way of, of looking at your own relationship and how you can address your role in the unhappiness and make it better. Awesome. And then you have yeah. your, and then you have your online course, right? Yeah, that's right. So I have four online courses. I have two relationship courses. One's about, I'm sorry, two couples courses. So one's about developing more emotional intimacy in your relationship. And then one's about sexual intimacy. And it's really designed to help people self-diagnose in a sense, look at what they're doing, what they can change to make a better relationship. Then I have the women's art of desire, which is the women's self and sexual development course, and then how to talk to your kids about sex. So how to help your awesome. kids develop sexual integrity. And I'm working on a men's sexuality course as well. So that will come out in the fall. Awesome. Wow. Good yeah. for you. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll um, be addressing things like porn and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So they, fi they find you. What's your website? Uh, just by name, finlayson-fife.com. Okay. Yeah. And we'll put that in the show notes. So yeah. yeah and I sure. talk about that. I do this for LDS couples, but it's any, it's is not heavily uh, focused on LDS theology. It's just, that's the group that I am referencing and, but talking about, I sound like I did today, basically. So yeah. <laughs> talking about religion and its impact and how one relates to those ideas. Well, Jennifer, you're, a, you're a pioneer. You're, you're courageous. I really respect you. So thank you thank so you. much for coming thank on. Thank you. Thanks so yes. much for having me. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.